0: We started a series a couple of three weeks ago, three weeks ago, I guess. Um, and when we started it, uh, I told you in the very beginning, I wasn't positive where all we would go. Um, that was true. There's some ideas for what I felt like we would, might cover. But uh, in a lot of ways, I was not positive how long we would talk about leadership development, how long we would look at Jesus as an example of this, what all we would find that Jesus might say. Uh, I'm still not. In some ways, I'm on a journey. I believe I need to get better at developing leaders At developing leaders around the church At developing leaders in my life Uh, So I'm exploring What does Jesus have to say about developing leaders? And when I find something that I feel like might be worth sharing I get the opportunity to sit up here and share it with you And once in a while you even want to hear it Sorry I thought that was funny but you didn't I need a mic up here to bang on the drums again because you at least all laugh at him when it happens. It just makes me feel like you're laughing at me. Um, <clears throat> we've been looking at Mark primarily. Mark has been our, our starting guide for that. Um, because there are many that believe that the book of Mark was perhaps the first of the gospel stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to, to have been recorded. So in some ways it served as a kind of uh, source material for some of the other gospel stories that we have. So that's been where we have begun and where I have begun and what I've been reading through. But every time I come across a story, I'm also looking and trying to compare that with the, the similar story that I find elsewhere. Because many of the gospel stories were overlapped. Sometimes they're the same. Sometimes they're different. Um, but we look at those and try Try and figure out, okay, what's happening? Why are these here? What's being said? What's the difference in them? So I'm doing some comparing between the two, looking for for added insight and added wisdom as we figure out what is going on in this story and why. Earlier we read Mark chapter 6, the story of the disciples out on a boat. Jesus had sent them away on a boat. Jesus had waited behind by himself saying that he would catch up with them. And the story says that as they were out sailing, things had gotten rough, and Jesus decided to walk out towards them, to walk on the water. Now we looked at the section just before this. That's also in Mark chapter six a few weeks ago, and we talked about sacred rhythms. Um, we could go there again because there's some beautiful stuff still here about rhythms and patterns and, and finding methods of slowing down and how valuable that is. But but today we're looking at this piece of it. And, and as we look at it, something that is intriguing to me, <coughs> sorry, um, <coughs> um, something that is intriguing to me as I look at the comparisons is when Matthew tells this story. He tells it far different from the way that Mark does. This is one of those times that it's really interesting that the two of them would tell it different because the details that Matthew includes, I can't imagine why anyone else would possibly leave them out of the story. There are ways in which as we read it, it probably pushes us to question, did this happen? Is this actually true? If it is, why is it here but not there and what's going on? And as I told you, we're not going to wrestle with the plausibility of stories. The the point is not for us to spend time this morning or as we look at this deciding, so is it real, is it not real, did it happen this way, did it not happen that way? That's not the goal of what we're doing. Instead, our desire is to look at the stories and try and understand why it is that the writers believed it was important to share this with us. So we've read Mark's story, but I want to read to you the addition that Matthew adds. From Matthew chapter 14, it says this, it says, Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you. Tell me to come to you, walking, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, he said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. Today I want us to spend a few moments looking at what will be the third of the leadership principles that we've talked about. And in some ways, as I've uh, thought about this one and prepped for this one, I feel like it's a little bit of a kind of an unnecessary no-brainer. I mean, people just know this, right? They just understand that this is part of what it means to lead. And yet, as I look at us, us as a church, us as individuals, us as kind of the global church in where we live right now, I feel like it is an area where we have room to grow. So the third of these principles that we want to talk about is that leaders take risks. If you read through the gospel stories, it is really easy to be critical of Peter. Peter seems to have always been making a mess out of something. All the time, it's as if he has this, this, this constant need to either speak or act before he thinks about what he's doing. It, it's, it just kind of comes out as a response in him. In this story here, we watch as he, he squanders this opportunity. He squanders this chance to walk on water. He's standing beside Jesus. He's even taken a step or two. And it's like, wow, how amazing. And many of us, as we read the story, we quickly turn. I thought about it even as I read Jesus' response in this. We turn quickly to critical responses, criticizing Peter for squandering the opportunity on the water rather than recognizing the incredible risk that he took. story says there were 12 disciples sitting in the boat one of them asked for the opportunity to join Jesus on the water. One of them had the courage to step out of the boat onto the water. As we did our last... um series or section of of small groups some of you spent time in a study through John Ortberg's book Um, if you want to walk on water you have to get out of the boat Uh, and I wasn't in that one and I read that book years and years and years ago so I honestly don't remember much of what he says I flipped through it a bit Uh, I hope that that conversation uh, was a value to you as you sat through it and I know that that Tom and somebody with Tom I can't remember Tom who was leading with you Aaron, Tom and Aaron were leading that together. Sorry, Aaron. Uh, Tom and Aaron were leading that together, and I hope that that conversation was of value. But even in just the title, it's pretty easy for us to pick up on this idea that I think Ortberg hoped to communicate. Again, I hadn't read the book, so he may say something totally different than what I'm going to say. I'm totally basing it on what I read the title says. We will never do great things if we aren't willing to take great risks. As a church, it's true. As people, it's true. As Christ followers, it's it's true. We will never do great things if we aren't willing to take great risks. And more and more as I walk forward in life, I'm coming to the place of understanding that a necessary aspect of risk is a high likelihood of failure. A necessary aspect of taking a risk is this high chance that we might fail along the way. We actually shouldn't be surprised that Peter sunk when he did. There's nothing surprising about that. The amazing part is he took steps on the water. The amazing part is that he was willing to ask permission and to take the step out of the edge of the boat onto the water. The idea that he ever did that is the part that is supposed to be surprising, not that after a few steps he began to sink, he began to doubt, he began to wonder if it was actually possible. I think that for us, as we think about our church, as we think about our future, as we think about who we are as Christ followers, as people in in families and in workplaces and in schools, we, too, have to think about what it means for us to be people who take great risks, knowing that sometimes along the way we will fail to accomplish what we hoped we would. So this morning I want to just look at a couple observations about the story. Some observations about Peter, about risk-taking, about the church and what's happening. Um, Again, some of this feels like such a no-brainer and yet is so significant for us if we're going to continue to move forward in who God has called us to be. First of the observations that I see in this story that I think is, is important is that what it took for Peter to be willing to get on the water is that Peter was growing to believe that there was something amazing about Jesus and what Jesus was doing. As Jesus walked on the water and he got close to them, he terrified them. Both stories tell us that. They'd never seen such a thing. They'd never expected such a thing. They never even imagined it possible. Consistently, they were being blown away by the miracles of Jesus. Over and over again, Jesus was doing these amazing things that they couldn't explain. They had no understanding how they were taking place. But every time it was evidence to them, this must be God. Just hours before this experience, the one that I told you we've been in before, we watch as Jesus feeds thousands of people with a meal prepared for one. They'd watched that take place, they'd seen this, and just hours later, again, baffled by, shocked by, terrified that Jesus can do something unexpected. We find that the response to it in Matthew 14, verse 33 is this. It says, then the disciples worshipped him. After he walked to them on the water, he got in the boat with them. The disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. These miraculous works, these these evidences that they watched take place over and over again continued to prove to them that Jesus truly was who he says he was. He was the Son of God. He was the Messiah that they had waited for, that they had watched for, that they had longed for. And friends, if you and I are ever going to grow into risk takers as a church, as Christ followers, it starts with us coming to the place of recognizing the Messiah. With us actually recognizing what Jesus is doing and who Jesus is and the incredible abilities that Jesus has in our life. We have to be the kind of people who are on the lookout for the miracles of God in our midst. We have to be the kind of people who are on the lookout for Jesus doing the unthinkable among us. Often I get asked this question, whether it's in counseling, which you know I'm a huge fan of, or uh, even a spiritual director that I've been meeting with recently as we continue to, to look at my faith story and my faith journey and what that means. A question that's not uncommon for me to get asked by these folks are about experiences of joy in my life. Now, Callie is the one who recognizes joy around us. Chad is the one who always recognizes how things could be a little bit better. But there is this reality of what it means for us to be looking for Jesus. I have so much to find joy in. The problem is not that it doesn't happen. It's that I'm not paying attention. And in the same way, as we look to understand who Jesus is, the problem is not that Jesus is not continuing to work miracles around us. It's that too often you and I aren't watching. We aren't paying attention. We aren't interested in actually seeing it take place. There are miracles all around us right now. I love when Emery, our four-year-old, finds them so much more quickly than I do. Daddy, look at the flowers on that tree. Yes. I don't know how long the tree'd been in bloom. It was it was fully in bloom, so it'd been more than overnight. But to her it was spectacular in the moment. And for me, I'd missed it. So she spent the next thirty minutes just walking around looking for blooms. In our yard, in the neighbor's yard, all over the place, because to her there were miracles of Jesus at work. The miracles of watching babies when they're born. Dave had one last week. There is something miraculous taking place in that. But even beyond these these kind of natural miraculous processes, we also watch as there are miracles taking place in lives that are all around us. Relationships being restored that we never thought were possible. Desperate People finding hope when we didn't think that there was any hope left to be had. Bodies being healed when the idea of healing seemed impossible. God is still working in miraculous ways and too often we don't recognize it because we aren't looking. Mark's story says that Jesus, as he came up walking on the water, got close to the disciples, that he intended to walk right past them. I don't know why. I'm not sure what that means. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. I just know that for some reason Mark says Jesus' intent was to walk right past the disciples. And yet the story tells us why did he stop? They saw him. They cried out to him. They were looking to see something. They were looking for Jesus. They didn't expect him to work in this way, but they were paying attention. They were paying attention to what was there, to what could happen. And they called out to Jesus. Even in fear, even as they were terrified about what was happening, they called out to Jesus. And fearfully, but faithfully, Peter asked for permission to step over the edge of the boat and join Jesus. Jesus in his miracle. A second, just kind of observation that's going on as, as they're growing. Hey, Greg, come on in, man. Uh, as they're growing to, um, I don't know why I laugh. I mean, he's, he's here. I'm glad he's here. Sorry, next time I won't point you out. Didn't mean to embarrass you. Just glad you're here. Um, a second piece that I think is important, an observation that we need to catch is, While they were growing to understand what Jesus could do and what Jesus was doing, it was also true that they were growing to understand what Jesus wanted for them. That Jesus was actually preparing them for and calling them to attempt unspeakable things. It builds on the principles that we've been talking about the last couple weeks. Jermaine made this comment about people remembering what I said last week, like the three-year-olds remember. None of you even remember what we talked about, much less they're going to remember, but... Week one, we talked about the idea that the real calling of Jesus and this first step of us becoming leaders is being with Jesus, being in the presence of Jesus. It was the being in the presence of Jesus that was giving them the ability to understand how incredible Jesus was. The things that he could do, the ways in which he could stir and work, the presence with Jesus was opening their eyes to who Jesus was. And that second step that we talked about last week, this empowering that takes place, this empowering of others to walk forward, they were coming to understand that Jesus was empowering them to do incredible things. Jesus could do miraculous works, and he said that they would be able to do the same. And along the way, I think there were times that they weren't sure, but they thought, maybe we should try. Jesus says we could do this, and we're not exactly sure how it works, but, but let's just see. Like Peter Take a step on the water. I I don't know if this is possible, but he said that we could do some incredible things. This one looks kind of cool, so maybe I should just ask if I can do this. And he steps out of the boat, and he takes a step or two. And here we watch as he's the only one with the courage to do so. He's the only one that asked to step out on the water. And in the working of these miracles, it was evidence that Jesus was who he said he was. In Matthew 14 verse 28, it says, then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. So for Peter, Peter was looking for evidence that Jesus was who Jesus said he was. How would Jesus prove it? By allowing Peter to walk on the water. But I think what's also true is that it was through this act of joining Jesus in the miracle that Peter was gaining evidence that Jesus' disciples could also do everything that Jesus said they could do. They, too, could be a part of the miracles. They, too, could be a part of working in incredible ways. In fact, we looked at uh, the book of John last week as Jesus says that these disciples will go on to do even greater works than Jesus would do. They were being empowered and they were going in faith to recognize what was going on. All right, just a third observation that I want to point out, and I think that this one carry some really important significance for all of us. Bless you. If we're ever going to be the kind of people who take incredible risks in our faith and with our faith, we have to understand that failings don't make us a failure. Failings don't make us a failure. The reality that we will fail, we will get things wrong, we will make missteps does not mean that we are somehow a failure. That we are somehow wrong or bad or damaged or unusable. This story is a, a really incredible story. Again, I mentioned to you this idea of real risk seems to me that it must require a strong likelihood of failure for us. There actually is no risk if it isn't highly possible that we can't get it right along the way. That we will make mistakes, that we will make missteps. And the reality is, if we're ever going to do anything that's God-sized, anything that is bigger than what we can attain on our own, bigger than what we can reach for, bigger than what we can strive for, it will demand that we take steps out in faith. It will demand that we reach farther than we possibly imagine we can. And that Jesus give us the ability to take the steps that we can't take on our own. And sometimes we will fail. Sometimes we will sink. Peter's failing, we're told in the story, is because of doubt. We know that he doubted what was taking place, and yet just before that, we can't miss that. Just before that, it was because of his faith. That he was willing to step out of the boat. It was because he had faith that Jesus was who he said he was. That Jesus said that his disciples could do incredible things. So Peter was going to test it. Peter was going to step out of the water. Now as he did so, he was distracted by the wind and the waves. And an important piece for us to recognize is true with regards to Christian leadership especially. Is that it is imperative that if we're going to be leaders as Christ followers that we keep our eyes on Jesus. Jesus. When Peter looked away from Jesus, when he noticed that how distracting this was, how how overwhelming this was, when he saw when the winds began to blow and the waters began to crash up, not just on his ankles, but now on his knees and maybe even his waist, that's when he began to doubt that this was possible. That's when he began to grow fearful. But friends, the call of Jesus... For those disciples, for all of the other disciples that we watch throughout the New Testament, for the disciples that sit in Valley or in any church this morning, the call of Jesus was never to walk on water. Otherwise, there would be more stories in the New Testament of people walking on water. It never happens again. The calling was not to walk on water or we'd see lots and lots of water walkers. The call... Was to follow Jesus. The call was to imitate Jesus. The call was to trust that Jesus could do the impossible. And that if we were willing to follow him in it, so could we. So sure, when Peter failed, Jesus called out his doubt. He questioned his faith. And yet the story says that he still stood right beside him. That he reached out and he grabbed him. He wasn't surprised by it. He wasn't overwhelmed by it. He wasn't shocked by it. Even though we read the text that way, I did. We don't even see that Jesus was necessarily disappointed with Peter's failing or sinking. Jesus grabbed him. He called out the doubt. But he grabbed him and he lifted him up. He kept him above the waves. There was no attempt to, to humiliate him or shame him in any way. The work that's taking place here is that Jesus was working to fully transform Peter. And we want to look at the story and go, but he didn't do it. Yes, he did. He took steps towards Jesus. And he took one step further in his faith development, in his faith journey, in the full transformation that Jesus wanted to do in him. Just because he was willing to step out on the water. Very beginning of Ortberg's book. I told you I haven't read the book and I haven't, but I did look at like the first page and the title. In the very first page, you see this quote that's in it. have read it years and years ago There's this quote, sorry I want to make sure I'm honest with you um, There's this quote that's at the beginning of it From, from President Theodore Roosevelt And, and I've included m- much of the quote But I've actually added more than Ortberg does In his little intro as he talks about it But I want to read this to you It's on the screen so you can read it with me It says, it's not the critic who counts Not the man who points out how strong How the strong man stumbles Or where the doer of deeds could have done them better The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena Whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. He strives valiantly. Who errs, who becomes short, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions? Who spends himself in a worthy cause? Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement? And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that this place will never be with those cold, timid souls who know neither victory or defeat. Brene Brown in her book, Daring Greatly, incredibly challenging read. Uh, beautiful, beautiful as it pushes us towards being brave Having courage, pushing away shame, being people who are vulnerable. Brene Brown refers to the the same quote, and and some of what I added to it comes from her reciting of the quote. But friends, I believe that Jesus is calling women and men, he is calling leaders to be willing to be the kind of people who are daring greatly. I think that Peter's story gives us a model of that, that Jesus calling to Peter and the other disciples shows us that Jesus is asking of us incredible risks, not just to accomplish great things. It's not about building our own kingdoms. It's not about celebrating who we are and what it is that we can do and how impressive we are. It's about the fact that Jesus has done incredible things, that Jesus has modeled for us a life that is beyond belief. And we join in those things because we want to join in the incredible things that Jesus is doing. Jesus says we can do even greater things than he did. So we want to join in Jesus' kingdom, in Jesus' fame. Because we have faith in Jesus. Alright, I want to make one final observation. And this is not so much about the text as it is about what I see in the life of the church today. What I see in the life of so many Christ followers in so many churches. I believe we as a people are absolutely risk averse. We're terrified by risk. We are terrified by the idea of putting ourselves out there, of risking in some way, of compromising, or of putting too much on the line. We're terrified of putting ourselves on the line, we often will not push our faith or our God all the way to the limits. I think it's because many of us doubt that God is actually able to accomplish the things that the Scriptures tell us God can accomplish. I think others of us wrestle not so much with what God can accomplish, but we wrestle with the idea that somehow God wants to use us to accomplish those things. doesn't matter that the scriptures tell us that that's the truth. We just can't believe he could possibly want to use us to accomplish the incredible things that God says God wants to accomplish. In America especially, I'm absolutely baffled by the idea that so many of us think so little of God... That we believe it should be the primary responsibilities of our government or our government officials to somehow protect Jesus and the church. Like I'm baffled by how that's even possible. That we could imagine that for some reason Jesus needs the American government to protect Jesus and the church. I am baffled by that and yet we believe it. It's all over many of our news channels that we watch. It's all over blog posts and Facebook. Some of you write those things. I've read them. Jesus does not need our government to protect him or the church. Jesus does not need you or me to accomplish the incredible things that he says he wants to accomplish in our world. And yet, he chose us. For some unexplainable reason, to be honest. Like I can't even fully explain why he would choose me or why he would choose you. Some of you more than others, maybe. Just joking. <laughs> Trying to make sure you're still here with me. <sighs> Friends, we have lived so comfortably as the church, especially in our country, that we're terrified by the idea of it costing us anything to risk to follow Jesus. Jesus. So many of us, maybe even most of us, aren't willing to actually risk enough to live faith boldly. We talk about some really crazy ideas around here once in a while. You know, we talk about things like Sabbath, and some of you go, yeah, that would be great. Or, yeah, it's just this religious idea that I'm not really supposed to do, but there's no way I can actually pull that off in my schedule or my life. Sabbath is a faith issue. And I'm not trying to just smack you around this morning, I promise. Not my intent. But Sabbath, and whether we live it or not, is completely a faith issue according to the Scriptures. We take a day off from work because we trust God can provide for us or we don't. Stewardship, tithing, is actually the same kind of practice. We give in that way because we trust that God will provide for us or we don't. And we choose where we land with regards to what we give and how we give and what role we play in that. But completely a faith issue. We can turn it into a guilt issue. And many pastors want to do that with you, especially around giving. But it's not a guilt issue. It is a faith issue of deciding how much do I trust Jesus can do the things the Bible says Jesus can do. Enough that I'll live them or not. Even in our prayer lives... Sometimes as we gather and we pray, we pray for the smallest possible things, believing that if we pray for anything bigger, God won't actually do that. So we don't want to look like a fool asking for something really big when God might not accomplish those things. But the scriptures tell us that that's exactly what it looks like. What about these callings that come up in the lives of so many of us, these these deep longings you have to do something incredible? Oh. Man, I really wish I could do that, but if I do that, I'm not sure how I'm going to pay the bills or how I'm going to pull this off or how I'm going to take care of my family or what it might look like or what I might do to my kids. There's a multitude of reasons why we're unwilling to do it. And don't walk out of here saying, Chad told you to quit your job tomorrow. That's not actually what I'm saying. I am telling you boldly follow Jesus, and if it requires quitting your job to do so, then boldly follow Jesus and trust that Jesus will do incredible things. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't partner with that. The reality of suffering is a piece of what it means to follow Jesus. Suffering is a part of the game. Suffering is here. Suffering is a piece of what it means for you and I to be faithful. Church history says not just a few years after Peter's experience here, he ultimately ends up crucified. Suffering was a part of it. He seemed to believe it was worth it. It's amazing how, I I, I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had about suffering this week. Friends whose marriages have just fallen apart. People who are wrestling through health issues they don't understand. And a multitude of other family issues that are taking place. All these questions about suffering and what I'm finding over and over again. Man, this is none of this is even written down here. I'm sorry, I'm kind of going off on a tangent. What I'm amazed by over and over again is how many of us really, really want to be Christ followers as long as we know all the benefits on the front end. We really, really want to follow Jesus as long as we've been promised that everything will be taken care of along the way. We really, really like the idea of being a part of the church because if we're a part of the church, then maybe we're somehow promised our our marriages will always survive and our friendships will always be good and our children will go up great and we'll never get sick. And we want to follow Jesus. But only if somehow we believe that we have promises that everything will turn out exactly the way we want them to every step of the way. And I'm using the word we because I do exactly the same thing. This is not about you. This is about us. Even as we look at the life of Allie and we know that there are questions about what we're doing and who we want to be and what the future looks like. Our personal lives of faith and our journey of faith as a church are going to require in the days and weeks and months ahead that you and I are willing to take unbelievable risks. And it is quite possible that some of them will not turn out the way that we thought they might or hoped they might along the way. The promise is not that everything will go great. The calling is not that we will all eventually be walking across the Sea of Galilee. The call is that we will follow Jesus faithfully wherever he leads and whatever he calls us into. Because we are promised. He will will provide for us. I had all kinds of other notes here, but I'm out of time. So let me just say one last thing. Part of what Jesus has called us into is the idea that we will be the people who are leading the world back to Jesus. And while we spend so much time being concerned about whether or not our government is doing enough to protect our church, it is my belief that the greatest deterrence to actually seeing people in our country come to follow Jesus with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength is that they have seen very few people actually do it. So many of us as the church come and sit together for an hour or two or three on Sunday morning and believe that that is sufficient for us to call ourselves people of faith. But we don't live lives as people of faith. And I actually believe that if our world were to see people of Jesus living like they actually believe Jesus still did miraculous things, like they actually believe that Jesus could still turn the world upside down, like they actually believe that Jesus could bring peace to unimaginable places, could bring reconciliation to the brokenness that exists around racism and sexism and sexual abuse that we've seen and political scandals that we've seen. And all if we actually lived as if we believed that Jesus could bring healing to that, If you and I actually chose to live that way, just a guess. But I think it could possibly change the world. Truth is, I think that's exactly what Jesus did. He came along and he showed them what it looked like to do the impossible. And then he said, hey, ladies, gentlemen, will you come with me? Because I'm only here for a little while. And what it means for this to continue is that you continue to put it all on the line to prove to the world that Jesus is exactly who Jesus said he was. Man, I'm not there, but I sure want to be. I'd love for you to come with me. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you sometimes for the chance that we have to be called the church. Other times it's just terrifying. But God, give us faith like Peter, even when we're terrified, to step out of the boat and onto the water. Give us courage to take great risks. Because you are a great God and because you are working miracles and long to use us for miraculous works. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.